sometimes when you build something, you like expect it to be something in your head, but the reality of things, they start shaping up as you attract the people and the people in the community, they bring the vibe, they bring the energy. All of this energy sort of defines and completes what you're building. And it's not always what you thought it's going to be. It's somewhere around it, but it always changes. This is Pete Moore here on Halo Talks NYC. I am at the Blender workspace with the Blender co-founder, Amro Kadora, who is my landlord, as well as a close personal friend. Thank you. I was uh, part of the staged furniture in the Blender <laughs> workspace here at 135 Madison Avenue, 8th floor. And uh, I wanted to talk to Amro today about where the Blender brand is going focused on the Halo sector, health, active lifestyle, outdoors, what Colo in the future looks like, as well as his personal journey to uh, become an entrepreneur and take the risks that a lot of people who listen to our podcast take risks to build businesses and to turn their passion into profession. So, Amro, a pleasure to speak with you on the record. Thank you, sir. And thank you for doing this amazing Halo Talks at Blender Workspace. We're very excited to have you guys here. Excellent. So, Amro, talk about uh, your background, how you got to sure. New York, how you got to be an entrepreneur, how you looked at the space and said, this is what I want my so before, first phase to yeah, be. Yeah, I've been in New York for seven years. Before that, I was in Dubai. I was working for a company called Deloitte. I was with their M&A group. And then I transferred from the Dubai office to the New York office. And I was working in business valuation and consulting, working on hospitality and real estate. And then I met my business partner and co-founder, also Scott Sassoon. We were actually drinking a Fernet Branca on his couch, bouncing business ideas. And his background is in design, luxury, and build. And my background was in M&A. So the idea came about, about mixing the best ingredients into one place and coming up with something new. And the idea of Blender was born. And here we are today. So when you were at Deloitte doing the valuation, were you restless? Did you say, I, I need to become an entrepreneur? You know, how did you think about... So here's, here's one thing that I would advise all entrepreneurs who have corporate jobs. So I was in corporate America doing, you know, Deloitte, you're basically a little needle in a big machine. It's very important before you make the leap or the shift from, you know, the corporate world to becoming an entrepreneur to have certain vision and idea of where you're going to head. And it's very important to have enough cash flow for your personal lifestyle and what the business needs. A lot, I think a lot of entrepreneurs quit early because they don't like their job. But we saw you know, a huge opportunity in the shared workspace market and specifically the luxury shared office market where it attracted us to start this business. And for the last six months I was at Deloitte, you can't really focus on you know, being an entrepreneur and having a corporate job. It becomes very difficult. I started feeling my energy just being, becoming like almost like 50% at Deloitte. And then after hours and on weekends, we were just pushing the blender stuff. And I did that for like about three to four months. And after we secured some, you know, family and friends commitment, it still wasn't enough to get this project off and rolling. You know, we were still worried about this. You know, are we going to raise the full amount? Are we going to be able to start this business off the ground? It's very difficult in a city like New York to take down 15,000 square foot of office space and convincing a billionaire to, to give you that amount of office space. Um, I remember we walked into one of, you know, 
one of these billionaire landlords and he was like basically who are you guys you know right. you come to me here you're trying to take 15,000 square feet and we have gap also trying to take 15,000 right, square feet right. and gap has a billion dollars on their balance sheet and we didn't so it was you know finding the right asset and the right landlord and having enough capital commitments from investors is really important before you like exit a job or you start you know uh, just taking a lot of risk however we strongly believe that if you want to get something off the ground you have to give it a thousand percent of your energy and time and love otherwise it will not work that's great advice so as you're going through this process of it, this is the first venture that you've done where you've solicited money from friends and family is that correct correct friends and family and we also have a you know a professional investor right it's one institution understood so it's something actually we haven't touched on in any other podcast that, that we've done, but going to your friends and family, which is now mm -hmm. considered like a round of investment, right? Those, those people are investing in you as, as a person, as well as your idea. So talk about how those conversations have gone when, yeah. when you had them right. and also talk about the emotional side of that versus like, Hey, I'm giving you an investment opportunity where you can make a lot of money versus like, Hey man, I, I believe in this and I, I need you to back me. Right. So in my experience, especially with the first seed round, call it friends and family round, we approached everyone as a professional investor. It's not like, hey, uncle, yeah, just chip in, you know, 100K to 100 grand. No, no, no. We had our ducks in a row. Our business plan was tight. Our financial projections were tight. Everything we presented, we presented as if we're going to pitch a proper venture capital company. Because even some of the close friends and family, they are sophisticated investors. They do ask smart questions and they do want to know where their money is invested. Having access to friends and family capital in the early stage is, you know, circumstantial. And not everyone can have that. Not everybody has a rich uncle. Not everybody has, sure. you know, a close relative. I think relative. everyone does have a rich uncle. Everyone, like every, everyone has one. Right. Or a rich right. uncle who knows but somebody. But still, who's... you need to convince them, and they're going to ask questions, and you need mm -hmm. to make sure that, you know, you need to convince them that any money you give us, it's going to be spent very wisely. This is our vision. This is what we want to create, and we want to build the future office space to accommodate all these entrepreneurs from different backgrounds, whether it's Halo, whether it's fashion, whether it's creative and lifestyle. So when you're presenting your investment to the early stage uh, investors, you don't really have anything. You have a piece of paper. And when you're sitting in front of one with a piece of paper, you can't really start talking about valuation. Oh, I'm worth 20 million, I'm worth 10 million. It's not gonna fly. Mm -hmm. So we, you know, we structured our deal in a very smart way where we told them, this is our idea. This is how big it could be. Uh, we call them the founding investors as well to give them some sort of you know, sense of ownership. What do you, what do you call me? We call you a founding, we call you a founding Captain Halo. That's force. amazing. Thank you. The founder of the I Halo Force. I just want force. to get that on tape so yeah. people no, you can go are back and absolutely revisit this. I'm, the, I'm a, a special captain. character you are. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Caricature of myself, actually. But, you know, coming back to the point where, you know, a lot of entrepreneurs are pitching friends and family and just random investors. People are very discerning at the beginning, especially when everything's on paper. They sort of look at you they'd be nice to you and they're almost like F you, like, all right, sure, I'll entertain you for 15 to 30 minutes, right. but then 
Thanks. All right. So and, and it's also kind of a chicken and the egg here because you, you gotta you might have someone on paper, but until someone says until you say to someone, Hey, I've got this LOI on this space where they can actually visualize, okay, I get it. And then you've also got a landlord who's like, Hey, do you guys have money lined up or you know, is this some kind of fishing expedition no, we, for you we guys? Had right? to have, we had to have almost forty times our monthly rent in the bank in cash before you speak to any landlord. Because the first thing they ask for is, is they're gonna be like, send us your balance sheet. And you have to have the money sitting ready in a escrow account where you can print that paper and go to that meeting. And they're going to be like, all right. At the beginning, landlords weren't very open to the idea of co-working. So we had a lot of challenges. Not a lot of landlords in the city would even accept this. Uh, so we, you know, we got lucky with this building. And um, after, after looking at over like 100 buildings in New York City, we found that this nomad area is up and coming in terms of boutique hotels health and fitness clubs around us. There's a lot of restaurants and we like the idea that it has, you know, it's between the business vibe of like the midtown, uptown, but it still has that cool downtown vibe and we're attracting the super creative, you know, health, active lifestyle companies, not wellness. Yeah. <laughs> Outdoors. Well. Yeah. Uh, it is a chicken and the egg situation, Captain Halo. Absolutely. You need to have the money in the bank before you speak with these, you know, very conservative landlords and you're signing a 10-year lease so you got to be ready uh we were lucky we got a big a big contribution from one family office that helped us secure this deal they saw the money in the bank account they were convinced to give us this floor and today we're above you know we're almost above 80 percent occupancy and we're getting a lot of demand from very cool companies in new york city in the fashion creative and the halo world Awesome. And, you know, we plan to take, we call it the four corners strategy, where we're going to have four corners in New York City. So our members can, you know, work and commute downtown and midtown and sort of, you know, in West Chelsea areas. We want to grow this concept to become, you know, a boutique workspace catered for the established, sophisticated entrepreneurs versus like the WeWork, you know, tech flip-flop entrepreneur. Yeah. So, I mean, one of the reasons that, that we decided to come to Blender, besides my affinity towards yourself and your partner as friends uh, and that I trusted you guys is that I didn't want to be in a WeWork because I felt like it had a, uh, a stigma that I just started my business, which I started seven years ago. And I, I, I feel like when I'm at Blender and people come here that they, there's a sense of professionalism, but there's also a sense of being on trend, um, having a ability to kind of toggle between you know, having a private equity or an investor come in here, but also have an entrepreneur who says, okay, you guys are, are prudent, scrappy, and cool. So that's kind of how we kind of view it, you know, versus the, the spectrum of other colo options. And yep. for us to sign a five-year lease on a location uh, and have our 15 people in one captive um, office, it, it doesn't make any sense anymore. From a standpoint of the ability to network and to get our brand mm -hmm. out there and, and our portfolio companies to have community space uh, and collaboration. I think part of the layout and design has actually led to more business and success for us the way it's set up here. That's great. And just to add one, one point on like branding and, and that stuff. Sometimes when you build something, you like expect it to be something in your head, but the reality of things, they start shaping up as you attract the people and the people in the community, they bring the vibe, they bring the energy, they bring the fashion, they bring, you know, the ideas. So all of this energy sort of defines and completes what you're building. And it's not always what you thought it's going to be. 
in your head on paper when you first started, it's somewhere around it, but it always changes as you go into different markets. Like, let's say this is a New York City vibe. If you go to somewhere like DC or Miami, the space design or people might attract a different type of vibe. Maybe in DC, they're more into like, you know, the, the cool political whatever, or in Miami, you know, like it could be on the beach because most of the people down there love the beach and stuff. So, so, so how do you, how do you think, let me just switch gears for a second. Cause there, there are a lot of entrepreneurs who are out there that are very impatient. Okay. And think that I'm going to start this company and be cash flow positive in six months. I'm going to get to here. And they realize the reality of if you want to build something that's worth something, then it's going to take time. You need infrastructure. You need your brand out there. You need relationships. So how, how did you calibrate, how do you calibrate your success and to be realistic about what you're building? Right. I think we're, um, we're very pragmatic as entrepreneurs. We immediately know when something's wrong and we catch it very early and we act on it rather than just ignore it and let it be. It's very important to quickly catch your mistakes very quickly because one mistake can kill your company. One mistake can kill your company. And you always have to be alert. And you always have to be on top of your next, you know, objective. We try to divide it by short tasks and long-term vision. And we focus, we, if we have a very big task, we chop it up to smaller tasks. And we focus task per task to get things, you know, moving and, you know, getting to the cross line. And we did, and we went through a lot of challenges, you know, when the construction was leased. Some investors weren't happy. Some clients were expecting to move earlier than, you know, they wanted. These are challenges that you can't, you know, sort of avoid. You can try and minimize uh, or do damage control on certain things. And uh, you just need to like almost sniff where the real opportunity is. And when something works, focus on that. We've built a system where we know we're targeting our, you know, community out there on social media, on Google search analytics. And, you know, we're, we're up against a very competitive market. It's no joke, like the co-working industry there's about 248 co-working spaces in New York City. Exactly or about? Exactly. Oh, okay. Okay. So There's about 27 million square foot of co-working spaces in New York City. Wow. WeWork, which is like the biggest competitor in the market, has attracted 98% of the total funding in our industry. So this is, you know, we look at it, you know, when, when there was only Starbucks out there and Starbucks was the name, how did all the other coffee brands say, well, we're a cool coffee brand. We want to raise money. We want to expand our concept. And you still get these badass coffee companies like, I don't know, like Alarm or Blue Bottle or, you know, these other companies in a very competitive market that still make it because they have an edge and they know what they're doing. And we also compare it to the uh, gym and fitness model where, you know, if we work was a New York sports club, Blender can be an equinox of workspaces. Sure. And, you know, we can make this analogy on any industry one important point that I want to say is that do not worry if there is a lot of supply. There is good demand, and may the best company attract the best demand fair and square. And that's how you know that you're building something of value. Yeah, the interesting part in some industries, and, and we're, we're a part of one of the industries in, in the health club industry where it's a race to the price bottom. And they start to give it away or they start to get to, uh, you know, $9 a month. And, and I feel like you get what you pay for. 
not necessarily right away, but over time you get what you pay for. So from a standpoint of, of how you look at your brand, you know, you're, you're paying for when I'm, when I'm here, I feel like I'm not just paying for workspace. I'm paying for like an experience. I'm paying to be part of a community and I want people to equate my companies with blender and what blender represents. So when you say like you catch a mistake or you like you're, you're, you, you need to hold that blender brand at a, at a status level because you are basically the foundation of every company that's in here. If you go down, then, then, then that affects me. Correct. If you go up, that affects me, that benefits me. So how do you think about when you say the four corners, like how do you think about maintaining that type of brand reputation and that culture, which is very hard to replicate because it's not like you're doing a class and you can just send like the same instructor around to four places and build it out the same way. So like you're part of the culture. Right. Scott's part of the culture. Amy is just, right. you know, like. And you guys as well. So. <clears throat> Thank you. Um, I think the the way this, the way this, you know, cultural and brand and community thing would grow into other spaces, it will always originate from the first space that we built. The way we're presenting ourselves digitally and online and the types of groups we're attracting to our business are becoming, you know, we're, we're, become, we're focusing on certain industries that we want here. So they would always, you know, hear about an, a cool event happening at Blender or, you know, have you seen that cool office, Blender Workspace on Madison on 31st? I think our word of mouth is building up and we're starting to feel it. Even when I'm chatting with some like random friends of friends and stuff, they're like, oh yeah, Blender, we've heard of it. And like, that's a good sign when people that you don't think know who you are are actually talking about you because that's your reputation is what people talk about you when you're not in the room. Mm -hmm. um, anyway, if we have separate locations across the city, there's going to be a lot of synergy between both, between all the locations. And you would have a Captain Halo running around to a downtown that's office. That's me, by the way. This is Captain Halo, the one yes. and only Captain Thank Halo. You. So the idea is that our members who are here at the founding called it Blender Workspace will also have access to other locations around the city and they will spread their energy and even the other people at the other locations can come visit here and use our cafe space and event space and attend events. So it's all going to feel like a Blender world, call it. I mean, it's, it's interesting you talk about energy because you technically need to kind of toggle between, yeah, I want to rent this office space, but I'm not renting it to anybody. Because if you rent too many spaces to too many people that don't fit this energy level, then that affects you. I mean, it's in, there aren't that many, I can't think of many industries where that is like a variable. Your success is based on the tenants that you have because that creates the energy in the community. Correct. So if, I, if I'm in the hotel business, I rent that hotel out for three days and then a new person comes in for three days. It, it doesn't affect the culture. Correct. So, yes, there is a... Uh a sticky culture, when it starts, it stays there, I think, because the way our staff also interacts with the members, it affects their personality and their etiquette with our members. And we try to be non-pretentious. Uh, we try to be accessible and upscale without any of the pretentious vibe that some of the other co-working spaces have. Like, you know, I don't want to mention names, but there are a few out there with like a you know, red velvet rope, and it's very um, stuck up, I would say. 
Right. Uh, we're not that. Our culture is not that. We're mostly laid back, but we like beautiful things as well. It's nice. So speaking of beautiful things and beautiful mind, we um, ha- how has chess affected your strategic thinking over the years of of setting up the Blender workspace in like four corners? Is that like um, like a castle, you know, to rook? Um, I mean, you could sure you could you could apply a chess <laughs> analogy on on that, but um, I only started getting into chess over the past few months. I used to play when I was a kid with my family members and stuff. I always liked the game, but, and I enjoy playing with you as well. After, yeah, after, first... after, a, so, you know, coming to work and having Captain Hale running around, inspiring me to take a soul cycle lesson with him. Several. It just creates this Several. energy yeah. in my brain. I just want to run. You put me in beast mode, Captain Halo. Beast mode? It's called beast mode. Beast mode and then chess mode. But, but I will say my, my uncle, not my rich uncle. Yeah. Actually, Definitely not my rich uncle. Hope he's not listening. I'm sorry. Um, he taught me how to play chess when I was like five years old. And I really do think that that game strategically makes you think three or four moves ahead. What's going to happen if this, if I do this? And I think it, it wires your brain into thinking ahead of like, what do I need to do? And what are the implications of that? What are the risks of that? Um, so we played a game. I was on full assault mode uh, on Amro. And then uh, I retreated. And uh, and took an L on my calendar that day, unfortunately. But the vibes here, are great. The vibe here is great. Um, you guys have done a, a an amazing job of really maintaining the brand standard. And um, you know, in the health club industry, we always talk about well, what's your flagship location. You know, what's your prototype, um, which kind of turns it into almost like um, it turns it into like an architectural, like a, like a module. But the reality is, like, there's energy here. There's culture. And I'm sure that's not easy to to maintain. So I look forward to your future success and, and toggling between all these new locations at some point. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, having the, uh, the, the Halo companies around us is going to be a major operational factor that's going to bring us to our next level. We're going to take this to another level where we can start collaborating with building a podcast studio specifically for your companies to run these sort of functions. Uh, We truly believe in your company's success and the companies you're investing in and attracting them to our space. And we want to have this model where we could present you alongside our concept in the future. It's very attractive. If you look at the streets these days, all these apparel companies, blah, 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 they're going out of business because they can't compete with Amazon anymore. There's literally just fast food, like casual food concepts and health and fitness clubs on every block. So I think um, the combination of Blender Workspace and the Halo Force is, is really, has really come to life. And um, we look forward to taking this to the next level. I'm in. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's go. Let's go. Thank you. Uh-huh.